This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety, and I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. really appreciate it, and I'm very excited to share this episode with you because it is with one of my all-time favorite improvisers and one of my all-time favorite instructors, and I've had a lot of greats. And uh, you have seen this guy, too, because he's also an actor, and he's been in a ton of things, a bunch of commercials. I uh, had seen him a bunch before moving up here, and when I started taking classes with him, I didn't even immediately recognize him because he's really great at picking up an essence and being that essence. And when he's just himself, he's just himself, and so I didn't connect anything to these commercials that I saw, but he's actually in this Sprint ad that I always thought was really funny. Uh, <laughs> so uh, really cool to learn from him. And he really is a great guy. Actually, I walk in the room and he's already set up the space a little bit so the sound will be better. So like, I didn't ask him to do that. And he got there early and started doing that. So uh, thanks to him for that and for being on the podcast. If you Remember, Nick Canellis was a previous guest, and we talked a lot about trike, and uh, we talked about Nick's partner in trike, Peter, and that's this person, Peter McNerney. We have now completed trike. We have had trike on the podcast, and that's a phenomenal group. If you're ever in New York, you want to check out an improv comedy show, and it's every other Saturday of the month, then you can go see trike at the Magnet Theater. It's a great show. Well, let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Peter McNerney. First off, I just want to say thanks so much for doing the podcast. My pleasure. <laughs> I got the second half of Trike now. The other half, the I should other. say. I should say the second, because then it implies no, there's the a first. the other half. <laughs> the less charming half. <laughs> You've got a charm that I think... Uh, you don't realize. Oh, no, I'm confident in my charm. <laughs> I just don't underestimate Nick Canelsa's charm. <laughs> oh, that's true, yeah. No. He's pure charm. He is pure charm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can barely know him, and he's going to treat you like you've known him for 10 years. Yeah, he's the least judgmental presence I think I've, I've ever known. Wow. Which, f for an improv partner, is the Incredible. greatest gift of all time. Mm -hmm. Because uh, at no point do I ever feel like, oh, Nick won't like this. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> I guess I, the, my greatest fear is taking advantage of such a <laughs> earnest, open, thoughtful man. Um, but no, being on stage and feeling like anything I do, he's going to treat it like it's perfect. Yeah. Um, it frees you up. Yeah. Just do what I you think do. The, flip coin, or the flip side of the coin is... When that person, they're not judging you, they're judging themselves. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, I mean, that's certainly the, the worst version of Nick, is him not <laughs> trusting himself. I mean, that's when we're on stage together, he mm -hmm. completely trusts, because he knows I'm not judging him. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, but he does love to please people. But he's also one of those people when he's nervous about um, judging himself. His he's got one of those really productive panics. Why don't we just start this podcast with me giving Nick notes? <laughs> you know, it's very along the lines of what I talked about with him, though. Everything you're saying. He, well, yeah, he, he wouldn't disagree with with anything I'm saying. But when he feels like he's fucking up, which he's not, um, his panic is still very giving, and it's usually very funny. And then he'll beat himself up after a show, and then it just takes 20 minutes for him to realize like no Nick that was great you were making everyone else look good <laughs> you're only judging yourself and people can't tell what and I, and you've been doing improv for quite some time uh, you started in college at least 17 years I guess yeah yeah better part of 20 years I knew um, and you were at Northwestern mm-hmm and I mean that's a heck of a school for people to start improv. Yeah, well, it was it was right place, right time. Mm. You know, there were very there was a lot of improv in colleges at that time, sort of you know late '90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. and mostly short form. And uh, there was a few pl- colleges that would actually do long form, mm-hmm. and it was typically somebody that had studied at IO. And then, like, gone back and taught their group, and then they graduated, and then the younger uh, students would like pass on this information, and it would immediately start to get weird because it's like something, something you need to really stick with, yeah, and have a consistent sort of coach and mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. So at Northwestern, there was a super unique program in that um, you got cast as a freshman on a team, and you stayed with the same eight nine people for four years. There was always four groups. And it was run by this guy named Mike Abdel Sayed, uh, who's a beautiful weirdo, uh, <laughs> like many improv, improv gurus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my freshman year was the first year it turned into what it is. It was called Titanic Players, mm-hmm. where it was like a multi-team mm-hmm. thing. So it didn't exist anywhere like that with like a consistent presence coaching and no personnel changes on a team. Until my until me and my team, mm. so I not I don't know of any other college situation before that point where you get cast on a team and you're with those same people all four years, and then I cast Nick on his first team mm-hmm. two years later. Yeah, yeah, you took on that role that mm-hmm. um, you so the person you just mentioned. It eventually became that those groups the first two years you're coached by an upperclassman, mm-hmm. and the last two years by alumni. Oh, that's there's really, always sort of an alumni presence. Yeah, that's um, that reminds me a lot of like fraternities. You know, yeah. I mean, it's org- it's pretty organized. People don't realize like a lot of people think it's just like a bunch of dudes and partying, but there is an alumni presence. There is yeah. a there is a national organization. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's a national organization what you're talking about, but there's at least an alumni presence and a yeah. structure there to keep things uh, on, on a certain level, which yeah. is. Cool. And the result was, it graduated, you know, my team wasn't necessarily the greatest team in the world, but the group mind fluidity mm-hmm. and sort of nonverbal communication and ability to sort of use those uh, bending space and time technique, techniques, which you can only do with being with the same people for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, was like, you know, un- unmatched. Uh, so, like, when Nick showed up in New York, um, it was the technical side of the improv that suddenly I could do again. Because I moved to New York 
And well, one, I thought I was hot shit. <laughs> yeah, you moved right out of college. Day after graduation. And and it was to do to, to focus on improv or acting? No, or I, I made it into the the like senior showcase where they pick like the ten actors from the class mm-hmm. and you go to New York to do your showcase for agents and then you get famous. Uh, and I, so was, you I probably wouldn't have chosen New York, but I got into that, so I'm like, I guess I'm going to New York to be an actor. Oh, okay. So you would have, cho- well, you probably would have chosen Chicago? Probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that didn't happen, I probably, improv was the thing I loved. Right. But so you're, you're, and at that time, I mean, UCB, I don't know exactly when you graduated, but UCB was, was either like, getting started or hadn't started yet. I was yet. like uh, six or seven years old or something, so it was oh, okay. definitely there. Oh, okay. It, okay. it was established. But it, it, so, I mean, I didn't come here for improv, but I obviously wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I knew UCB was out here, and that's the only thing uh-huh. I was aware of. So I actually drove out here the week before graduation to take my level one class one with Chris Gathard, mm-hmm. and then I wow. drove, flew back to graduate, and then the next day drove, uh, or I don't know what I did, I got back here for class two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was here before any of my friends. And, and you already thought you were hot shit, but so, yeah. you said that like, but then it all changed, I, yeah, I got well, here. Well, no, I was just, because UCB was very and is very specific mm-hmm. in that every you know game of the scene every single scene uh, there's going to be some level of absurdity to it like a sketch mm-hmm. which works really well and yep. I uh, very much subscribe to that philosophy but not for every single scene I want to do right okay and the because of the way that was taught heralds at UCB. Um, you know, when you have a sort of super stark game like that in a mm-hmm. first beat, those scenes are promising that game again. And so yeah. a lot of the times those second beats, you want to do that more and things get narrower mm-hmm. and you heighten and the scenes don't really want to intermingle that much. It's mm-hmm. not really asking for that much of the time. So mm-hmm. by the time you get to the third beat, there's there's not a ton of opportunities for these like, oh my God, connections. Like mm-hmm. it was all meant to be. <laughs> Those do happen. Yeah. But like I got here and went to Herald Night and saw um, a lot of very similar structured Heralds. Mm. And the reason that was an issue for me is because the thing I was good at and the thing that it was exciting about what I had come from was the getting wide, yeah. getting weird uh-huh. and not purposefully going a million directions so that you had all of these loose ends that were an exciting puzzle to put together. And Mm -hmm. then it's far more likely you get those pieces where there were connections that actually said something about Mm -hmm. each of those scenes and it was payoff games and relationships and worlds and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's sort of that you couldn't have possibly planned. Right, right. And that is the thing I was really good at and the thing I loved. So you were already putting that together from the get-go there. Uh, That wasn't something that like, it took you to level three before you realized, like, oh, this isn't exactly how I want to do it. I mean, I just went to Herald Night. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> not because it wasn't good. Right. I, I mean, mean, that's the I thing. was, again, f- I was a little shit because I was, <laughs> I was telling everybody why it wasn't good. Uh-huh. <laughs> because suddenly I didn't have authority anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was at the back of the bottom. And a lot of people go through that. And they yeah. Yeah, cling yeah. to, you know... The, the, their status that doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. Right. So I spent every class 
Um, except for Gethard. I love Gethard. And it was level one. So and he's like, also, from what I've heard him say about UCB, uh, is it sounds like he doesn't subscribe the same exact way that maybe the book does. Well, that's it's the thing. manual. That was always the big debate, and then I was spearheading that, like, what is game? And it's <laughs> and people defining it differently. It wasn't until I took a workshop with Matt Besser that I truly understood. He has a very... He's very particular, but I was like, oh, you know what? I actually get it, mm-hmm. and I respect it mm-hmm. way more the way... It's something he said... He was like, you know, they say, like, find the first unusual thing. Mm-hmm. And there was some scene with, like, a real a terrible, like, sort of abusive father, but mm-hmm. com- quote-unquote comically right, so. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And he's, his, he's like, guys, there's nothing unusual about an abusive dad. <laughs> What's truly unusual? And that was the moment it was like, oh, you mean, like, it has to be absurd, basically. And mm-hmm. that's the language I now use. And that right. came straight from And I thought that. that helped me. But uh, when when I was taking your class, you mm-hmm. would say absurd. I was like, oh, that really helps to. That's a good word to focus on what the comedy of the scene is. Yeah. Because a lot of times when people hear unusual, then they think just weird yeah. or crazy town. Yeah. And it's not. And it and and they can end up forcing it. Yeah. But I liked absurd because it was more about point of view than some crazy thing happening. Yeah. And it's, but you know, there's still, I've never found a word that you can just say and everyone gets it. Cause right, I, that's I say true. absurd and people do interpret that as, Oh, I need to go batshit crazy. Right. And then, the, you know, there are people who hear unusual thing and they do it the way yeah. it's most useful. <laughs> and you know, UCB has, uh, I think they say like truly unusual, mm-hmm. which I'm like, I understand the logic of that. Cause it's not just odd, right. quirky, right. Or, or unwanted, like an abusive dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's and so when I say, like, it has to be absurd um, for me to define it as game of the scene. Right. Then have to back it, back it up with that, like, and compare this to real life. It the, That boundary between plausible and absurd is, like, much lower than mm-hmm. you think it is. Like, if you saw this happening in real life... Would you say, like, this is absurd? And it doesn't take much. <laughs> right. Most improv scenes mm-hmm. are absurd. Right. <laughs> and people don't even realize. They think they're doing right. a super grounded scene. They're looking for something else when they think of game of scene mm-hmm. than just the absurd thing that was already there. Yeah. 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 I think um, I have understood the UCB approach the most when Matt Besser's talking about things or watching him yeah he i seemed, mean he's the most purist about it yeah 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 and i think um i can't remember if it was chris chris gethard or will hines who said this but they were saying that the or one of them whichever one of them was was saying that they felt that the ucb approach was more like those four have a have a, a tendency to just really play hard on a comedic point and yeah. that is the approach they took and I was like yeah that is like a completely yeah. valid uh, definition of comedy I mean yeah. if you look at any comedy that's there what they are doing they're teaching you to improvise a sketch show yeah um, you go to TJ and Dave and they're improvising a, a play. play yeah I mean that's why level five here at the magnet has become now we just teach two forms and essentially mm-hmm. The difference is one of these is a sketch show and one of these is more like a movie or a play. Mm. 
and to say this one the source of your comedy is coming from an absurdity in the context mm-hmm. and the other form you're not allowed to have any absurdity mm-hmm. when there is absurdity in a scene that becomes the main point of interest for the audience mm-hmm. where they're like oh the unicorn uh, screaming uh, slurs at the bar scene <laughs> like there's the absurd details that take focus it's mm-hmm. still a relationship and behavior that sells any idea right. but that's the main point of interest when you remove that then the audience has to focus on just simply how these what these characters want from each other right. and how they're behaving their relationship and that's equally interesting. The laughs come in different places and mm-hmm. for different reasons, mm-hmm. um, but it's not—it's barely that different. Right. Yeah. That's something that uh, I can't remember if it was Rick Andrews or Andrew, or Rick Andrews or Lewis Cornfield, I heard say this recently. But it was that point of, you know, a scene that doesn't have that uh, that crazy thing or that absurd thing can still be a solid scene with that relationship that's being mm-hmm. played well like you still want it like i think what the way they worded it actually in in the moment was take out the comedy of yeah. the scene and it should still be a good scene to watch oh yeah it won't that's the only thing that matters yeah because your idea doesn't make a scene good right it's your scene partner and you acting like it's true. Mm-hmm. And so, how you relate people, with each other. In level yeah. five, like you're initiating a game. You know, I definitely don't spend as much time as maybe I should on like, what's a playable idea? <laughs> because I really believe in the end, it shouldn't matter. Because yeah. you either come out and play an idea as if it is true, or you don't. And when you're nervous about your idea, or if you're the second person trying too hard to get it right, you come out on stage with, with a question mark on your face, mm-hmm. that immediately says, this isn't real. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter what you say. But if I come out and I say matter-of-factly the dumbest idea I can think of, <laughs> and if you go, yeah, that's true, mm-hmm. it is th- instantly the funniest thing. Yeah. Uh, and so the audience does not know and a lot of improvisers don't know <laughs> right that right. the thing that will always be most interesting the funniest part of your scene mm-hmm. is the visual information mm-hmm. is are what these people look like mm-hmm. and how they look at each other mm-hmm. and the intimacy and importance that that implies right then putting all of your context on top of that then that makes your context funny but that's not the thing the audience remembers they remember the details Right. Yeah. Right. And that's such a hard, I mean, that's the thing I feel like I'm always trying to remember or learn is that like whatever idea I have or whatever I think the idea of the scene or game of the scene is that needs to be heightened, that is just distracting me from the real stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Because, and you see it a lot, especially when you're playing with a gamier uh, context or premise heavy I, that's when I see improvisers on stage thinking about the scene they want to be in mm-hmm. as opposed to noticing where they are. Right. And Because when you have an idea, uh, you know, that's why in we do expansion where there's no game. Uh, people come out on stage and it's a lot easier just to pay attention to who's there because people are less worried about whether the details are <laughs> funny or good. Right. Because they're like, well, it's not supposed to be absurd, so who cares? Mm-hmm. which is the attitude you should always have. And mm-hmm. so they sit down and they actually 
you can just see always see just on an improviser's face where they are <laughs> because what what you are think I've said this a trillion times but your face is designed to show what you're thinking and what you're feeling mm -hmm. so if you walk out on stage thinking about this scene that you want to do that's you, looks like you're thinking about a scene somewhere else <laughs> right it's the, I call it the like chess moves that people make in improv or just it's it's all about how well they play chess and mm -hmm. some people can appreciate that where they, you know if they're maybe a thinky type of improviser and they yeah. just want to see other good improvisers who are thinky then they get something out of just seeing them make good chess moves yeah. but I just for me personally I want to see more stuff like TJ and Dave or, yeah. or you know things like that like I want to see that approach because you get lost in it you get lost in it I get immersed in it and it's what inspires me the most um, not that I don't get inspired when I like I saw ASCAT and that's what made me want to do long form improv that's what made me really want to focus on improv yeah uh, was seeing that on Netflix, you know? So it's not yeah. like I'm dogging that. But yeah. I think a hyper-focus on game can oftentimes lead to not paying any attention to environment or relationship, which I think are very important, as important, if not more so. But if you go for a joke, if you go for a game, and you don't have relationship, and that joke fails, or the comedy of the scene isn't strong enough, mm -hmm. then you're left with nothing. Yeah, and I mean, you can get... it. Again, it's... I'm, I, I wouldn't go so far to say like, oh, that's bad. What kind of show are you doing? Right. You know, if you if I'm doing uh, a ten minute set in a basement mm -hmm. with like a bunch of loud rowdy people, I am going to tell as many jokes as I can. Right. And I'm going to be big and weird and stupid, and mm -hmm. I'm going to fill the room, and people are going to laugh, and I'm going to get done, and I'm going to be, I'm going to. Will it be the, the proudest work I ever do? No, but I am not going to feel bad about it. Right. If I have 60 minutes at the Magna Theater and you've all come to my show. Right. I, and if I do that, if I joke it off, I'm going to be mad at myself mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. it's, it's time and place. And, yeah. it's and that was it's the big always thing. always knowing where you are. You know, again, like when I started Take Class at UCB, it was this attitude that like, if it's not the way I am good at improv, let me tell you why it's wrong. Which is not helpful. Which is a waste <laughs> of energy. Mm -hmm. And is also completely robbing me of the opportunity to learn something new. Yeah. Because no matter what class you're in. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard. Like Once you start to know things, it becomes part of your identity. Mm -hmm. So being right in how you do it is validating and you can't help but feel that. Mm -hmm. But letting that shit go, just go like, when I'm in this class, like, my goal is to learn something new and just know that in the end, you can use it or not mm -hmm. later. So that is what I wish I had done at UCB, was just going, great, yeah. I'm going to go for this a, a trillion percent. What year was that that you were there? Oh, uh, in the aughts? Uh, oh, five. Oh, five. See, that, that's the time that a lot of people who, who I've uh, spoken to at Magnet were there and that was a pretty great time to be there because of who else was there and like mm -hmm. the people who've come through I mean your first your level one is Chris yeah. Gethard I mean yeah. that's pretty great but it just to, to piggyback on what you were just saying about how it was this waste of time for you to, to focus the way you're focusing that must have been doubly hard because of the people you're kind of surrounded with who've who are all great well I mean 
They're great now. They're great now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they're they learning then, too. It's <laughs> yeah. this, I mean, like, yeah, they're, all the people you're thinking of were always really good. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they, not like I was or they were. Uh, what you are now. What we are now. <laughs> That's true. I was in classes with, you know, all of those people. Yeah. And, uh, and it was like, oh, they're funny. But you're not like, oh, that that person's a star. <laughs> True, yeah. You know, one of my wife's very good friends is Aubrey Plaza, who they go oh, yeah. in their indie group together. Mm-hmm. And she was so super funny and, like, really interesting, but, but like, also, like, a weirdo. And that's, like, <laughs> in, like, the best way. Right. And, like, that's why she's a star. Yeah. Like, that weirdo quality. <laughs> but I don't know that any of us were, like... Aubrey's going to be a, a movie star. Yeah, that's like, true. It wasn't a huge surprise, but like there's, <laughs> at the time, you don't know. Like there's people yeah. around here now that are going to be famous and, and it's like, yeah. probably won't be a surprise, but you also don't know. That's true, yeah. I mean, when I moved here, like I, I saw a sketch show here, um, it's like in the first month of living here and I was like, Gosh, you know, moving up here, there are friends back home who are like, Jason, you're going to be on SNL. And I was like, whatever, that's not going to happen. I've aged out. But, uh, but I, you know, anyway, yeah. there are so many reasons. Uh, they're just being nice. Or, like, yeah. they're, they're, they like me, and that's nice. And I don't want to deflect their uh, being kind and uh, supportive. Yeah. But then I move here, and I see people on the sketch team here, and I'm like, why is it that person on SNL? You know, like, there's I mean, so many good I've people here. I've known Nick for... Right. Ever for 15 years. I'm like, why isn't that guy famous? That's yeah. the funniest guy I know. He's so good, yeah. I mean, it's some, you never, you never know. You never know, yeah. So that's true. Like, you're surrounded by people who are great and who knows what's going to happen. It's just because they're not on SNL or Daily Show doesn't mean that they don't live a life of success yeah. and, and of merit. Um, yeah, I mean, my wife created Reductress. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> has a real career <laughs> and we met I mean uh, so also connect we met at UCB at exactly this time yeah I was wondering uh, we got we were both cast on Project Improviser mm-hmm. the reality internet TV show <laughs> which we were promptly eliminated first and second <laughs> um, and uh, and then then love sparked uh, well it was, yeah it was a very awkward uh <laughs> My wife doesn't speak, and I never shut up. <laughs> so we had a lot of dates where I'm like, I don't know if this is going well. I guess I'll go on another one. And then suddenly we had children. <laughs> I mean, things happened in between. Well, well one hopes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but at that time, I mean, that's also, that time is exciting because that's when the magnet opened. Yeah. The magnet opened a few weeks before I moved here, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it existed. Oh, wow. I didn't know Armando Diaz Mm -hmm. was a man. I thought he was an improv show. (laughs) Same for me, yeah. I didn't know he was a real person. And then I heard he was a real person. Yeah. And then I assumed he was like, even when you hear he's a real person, you think he's like Del Close and he's not around and you can't meet him or something. He's like, no, he's over there. (laughs) Yeah, he's like the most accessible person in the world. He just strolls around. is super (laughs) low-key. I was in the middle of my... So I started taking my level two intensive in the middle of my regular level one because I was in New York and I had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And then I found out that Armando Diaz, the human being, had opened a theater and it was five blocks that way. (laughs) I went to the website and it was all... The instructors were Second City and Northwestern alum. Oh, so then um, you went, oh, what? I was Why like, did something I, I know. <laughs> so I signed up. I talked my way into level two mm-hmm. with Gene Villapique, 
uh, was a Northwestern grad in the same improv group I was in. Uh-huh. And I was like, yes, I love this. Uh, it was more in line with what I knew. But I also wonder if I hadn't done UCB first, if I would have had the same attitude hmm. as I did with UCB. Like, this is this is still different and I hate it. Oh, that's interesting. But because I had something that was much more different. Yeah. And then I had Magnet. Something I was that was like, more familiar. This is it. How long did you go through the UCB? Did you go through all of UCBs? Mm-hmm. Okay. I dropped out at one point at the peak of my I Know Better. Mm-hmm. And then I got cast in Project Improviser. Mm-hmm. And suddenly everyone knew who I was because they were airing it every week. Uh-huh. And... It felt cool, and I liked being around. <laughs> People knew who I was, so I, I stuck around a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And there was a, you know, it was a big dramatic thing because it's a, it's fucking cool, and it was mm-hmm. big, and, um, uh, and that was sort of what was keeping me there at a certain mm-hmm. point. But then Magna, I started doing Magna classes, and it was early on, and I got pretty quickly. I was able to do any basically anything I wanted because mm-hmm. there weren't that many of us, and there mm-hmm. was a lot of stage time to fill. So I remember like a couple years in, at some point I was doing six or seven shows a week for not that many people. Mm -hmm. But that is the best training in the world. Yeah. To like have an audience of four people, (laughs) make a dumb joke, get no laughs, and then realize you truly have nothing. (laughs) I have nothing (laughs) left. It makes you, do you think it's... Uh, not, uh, not only the humbling aspect of it, but it just makes you commit to what matters. A hundred percent. When, because I would do, you know, if I did shows at uh, UCB um, that were like a totally full house, um, you can get away with things. I mean, not mm-hmm. just UCB, anywhere. If you have a totally yeah. full house, you can get by on laughs. Mm-hmm. And so po- some portion of that crowd's going to laugh. <laughs> yeah. And that you can keep that beach ball in the air, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're doing a short set. And then that becomes part of how you get through every scene. It's like, oh, people aren't laughing. I'm going to do something that elicits a laugh. <laughs> yeah. And doing, you know, a few years at Magnet for not a ton of people. Yes, you sell out your scene for a joke. And nobody laughs. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, what do you do next? You literally have every option because you don't know who you are. You don't right. know what you care about. You don't right. know where you are. You don't know anything except the, the audience isn't laughing. So you have to put like, okay, we're not playing for a laugh. <laughs> you're playing for consistency. Mm-hmm. So you, you learn to come out on stage and notice your scene partner and go, no matter what, we're like this. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the unex- you start getting laughs where you don't expect them. Yeah. And you shouldn't know exactly where all the laughs are coming from. <laughs> because everything should be a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's improv. It's not sketch. Mm. It's not written. Right. Like it's, when it's in things that are written where you should know where the laugh is going to come. Yeah. But even then, you don't yeah. always know. Um, but I mean, that's improv. a little bit of a purist statement that you should never know where laughs are coming. <laughs> like, there's a craft to understanding setup and uh-huh. like, punchline and reveal oh yeah and performance and yeah in general but those opportunities should be a surprise yes um to a certain extent i so, think the worst feeling in the world is <laughs> when you go for a laugh like a cheap laugh and it doesn't get a laugh yeah uh 
no matter yeah. how many people are in the audience. Like if there are four people, it's almost better. But if it's yeah. like 20 people or more, I feel awful. But if you've got a real character on stage, then your character just made a bad joke. <laughs> and that is a gift to the scene. Yes. If you made a bad joke, <laughs> you're right. Yep. Oh, gosh. I hate it. I did that a couple of times in Megawatt because I was just like, it's Megawatt. I got to be good i gotta be i gotta make them laugh that thought dooms you <laughs> yep yep yeah. and i just uh, standing up there i was like i have nothing and i just screwed the I scene am truly and, alone <laughs> yeah. and everyone is here to see me you be just alone. feel like you've dishonored everything you yeah. know because to a certain degree you haven't honored what is there you haven't paid attention to you it. have blinders on right you have attention blindness mm-hmm because you're paying attention to something that's not in the scene, mm-hmm. which is either the rules or the person you're improvising with who's a new teammate and mm-hmm. you don't know what your deal is yet. Mm-hmm. You're paying attention to Hannah Chase in your head. Yeah. Mind <laughs> Getting cut at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. Are we gonna slip? None of those things are in the reality of the character. And if you're focused on any of those things, you can only pay attention to one thing at a time. All right. If you're focused on any of those, your brain will not bring to your attention any of the details in the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, a great episode of Brain Games. <laughs> attention blindness. That's how magicians get you. They get you to pay attention to a thing mm-hmm. that makes you blind to something else that's obvious. Right. Uh, and that's what we're doing. This is a big magic trick. Yeah. It's an illusion yeah. that this social exchange is... Well, no, I'll take that back. The context is an illusion. Mm-hmm. And the way uh, that you hook people in is by showing us real behavior that would exist in that context. Mm-hmm. And then you're just, the negative space, the audience's brain fills in the negative space and actually thinks it's real. Yeah. Not the per- the audience doesn't believe it's real, but most of their brain truly thinks it's real. It's getting invested. Yeah. If you're doing your job right. Oh yeah. I mean, it's and it's something else. I just took I retook a level one with Rick, and uh, it ended a little while ago or like a month. And um, something he was talking about was like, you know, when you come out of a movie theater and your brain is like, am I in the movie? Like, yeah. you're just so invested in it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And when and that's because of that thing you're talking about, like so much of your brain is just being immersed mm-hmm. in all these emotions and all these things are coming up. So it's uh, it's something that can be done in improv. And that's ultimately what you want. I mean, it's. It, the impro- the improviser's job is to delude themselves. Yeah. That's why, I mean, you've taken my classes. Mm-hmm. Almost 90% of it is me telling you, <laughs> don't look at things. Right. Come out on stage and point your attention away from your scene partner for a single second. And then look, and then look over. And mm-hmm. then suddenly your brain will go, is this a cowboy? And then your job <laughs> is just to go, yes, brain. Yes, it is a cowboy. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't be making choices. Right. You should be noticing what your dumb brain thinks this is. <laughs> and you, I think I've talked about this. This is the, my newish theory. The triangle of perception. Yeah, you've talked about this. Uh, okay, I'm going to talk about it again. <laughs> this is a fairly new idea. That there's a, a triangle with three corners. Mm-hmm. And each of these corners is completely, almost completely in control of the next corner. Mm-hmm. And one of them is... W- the information that's coming into your brain, the sensory information, uh, completely dictates 
how you feel. Mm-hmm. You have an emotional response to the things around you. And your emotions are the thing that, that drive you to action. Mm-hmm. And your action is the thing that points you in, in a direction to receive more information. <laughs> so where your face and body are pointed, mm-hmm. that determines what information you have. That information has an emotional reaction. And your emotion <laughs> tells you to move to point into a new direction. So in an improv scene, like you're just like the only corner of that that you really have any control over mm-hmm. is where you point your face and your body. Yeah. So if you go, if your first step on stage, your face is locked onto your scene partner, and you your brain is going to go, "What is this? What's the scene?" Mm-hmm. And that's the set information you have coming in. Then you're going to have emotional reaction of fear, trying to get it right. And then you're going to very quickly not be able to notice the scene. Mm-hmm. But if you just, your first step, don't have your eyes on your scene partner. Get out there quickly, land, have a feeling for a second, <laughs> and then point your eyes at your scene partner. Mm-hmm. And that is how you're able to point your focus and body towards scenic information. Yeah. Then your brain sees a person and it looks like they're in a place and mm-hmm. you feel like you're in your place. So then the information coming in is like, feels like you're in a saloon. (laughs) That's when you just go, yes, this is a saloon. Mm -hmm. You've made no choices. Your brain is assuming in the right direction. And that's what helps, too, I think, with uh, having more of an experienced life, a lot of experiences Mm -hmm. in your life. Because even if, if, if you're doing what you're saying perfectly... But all you do is improv, or all you do is one other thing than improv. Yeah. Then you're going to have two things. Then your that brain come is going to gonna brain. go. This looks like an improv scene you've seen, <laughs> right? Or this one other thing that I always focus on. Boy, in college, I uh, as soon as I fell in love with improv, I was like, "This is all I want to do: mm-hmm. theater <laughs> and improv." <sighs> you know, liberal arts. I start. It started getting harder and harder to care about going to my philosophy class or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So sophomore year, I didn't do great. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went, you know, one of the first shows I ever saw after I got cast in long form group, I had never seen long form mm-hmm. was one of the first few TJ and Dave shows. Oh, wow. Uh, and I was like, this is what we're doing. Yes, please. <laughs> but I was struck after going a bunch more times. The thing I started to notice after the, just how amazing it was in general was how much they knew. Yeah, you'd see a oh, show gosh. where yeah. they would dissect like they talk about you know Latin verb conjugations <laughs> yeah. and then the full plot of all the Harry Potter books. <laughs> and that's when I realized, oh, I can only play characters that know what I know. Mm-hmm. And that was suddenly a, a dumb, it's not dumb, but motivation to go to class. And yeah. I was like, I need to know things. Mm-hmm. And I need to experience things. Yeah. Tell my students that you should take every opportunity to hold any form of sports equipment or musical instrument. Oh, yeah. So that you know how to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a broader metaphor for Oh, it's like, experience or life. just um, cook yourself mm-hmm. a meal. Yeah. Because no one chops well, like it's yeah. it's going to be hard for it to look good for almost anyone because you're not using any real ob- objects. But yeah. at the same time, people chop as fast as a master chef. Yeah. But the form is all wrong. It looks oh, terrible. Yeah. Or they're using their finger, and it's like, what is happening? Yeah. Or it's uh, it's usually yeah, like early 20s young man playing a mom <laughs> who all moms do is stir the world's biggest bowl. <laughs> 
with like the most the, the thinnest liquid. Yeah. Oh god. Hi, honey. I'm a I'm a woman. Look at me stirring. I'm like, if you're gonna stir, know what you're stirring. Yeah. And you're making this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> like why yeah. would you be we're not in the olden times too where you hold it up and yeah like, what there's is, some big <laughs> yeah when do you hold it under your arm i guess yeah. i've done that before i'm sure I, I don't know i've just no i do it on a table i always do it on a table i've always seen my mom stirring a table so i don't know why yeah. people hold it up although i do also love seeing improvisers that have discovered that like object work is <laughs> freeing and then they go uh-huh. overboard oh and you yeah. see them dedicating too much brain power to like Miming, <laughs> reading a book. You guys can't see my mime work right now, but it's over the top. It's it was too very specific, and yeah. things have too much weight. Oh, I hate the too weight. specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where uh, it's like, look at me pull out my luggage. Yeah. you know, and a lot of pinkies. Open the yeah. Oh gosh, it's like so deliberate moves don't look more realistic. It looks like it's still like that chess move to me of like. Yeah. Here's something I'm doing to make a specific point that this is where I am, as opposed to just being there. The question is, how much focus does this task actually take? Right. Like, if you, you can't type on a computer and have oh. a conversation. You have to stop typing to yes. talk. Or you have to ignore I was them. just saying that. Video games. Yeah. Yeah. I love a, If somebody starts playing a video game and basically ignores most of what the other character is saying, they're doing a realistic, wonderful scene. <laughs> That's true. Unless yeah. it's like a puzzle game where you don't have to react, where mm-hmm. you can stop at any moment. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. most of the time, you're dead. Yeah. You guys but dead. yeah, people always type, and I actually saw like a famous person who's famous for improv do the terrible miming of just like the, yeah. the like, a, like Muppet hands. Yeah. And they were typing, it was like, wow. <laughs> but... Like, Deliberately bad? No. no. <laughs> they were just bad at, at object work, at least in that scene. They, you know, that, that comes back to, as you talked about earlier, it's like there are some improvisers, like my wife and I came, she's a great improviser. Mm-hmm. And we, I've never had the pleasure of seeing her or meeting her. She doesn't do a ton um, or go out in public ever <laughs> because of the yeah, burns. Two kids and the. <laughs> just kidding. No, no, that's true. Uh, but she doesn't improvise a ton anymore. But she was she's a writer, and like that's yeah. what she identifies as as first as a comedian. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she would come. She would think her way through scenes, mm-hmm. and she would oh, and and she and now and then would oh, just say the right thing. But learning if the space between the lines, you could see a nervous person who wasn't used to being mm-hmm. on stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas I. I'm like, I love being here. I'm going to fill every second with sounds. Uh-huh. And there was a good side, which is I always seem comfortable. The bad side is like, I'm not listening. I'm steamrolling. <laughs> and so as we've gotten older, more mature, the space between the lines for her, she's comfortable. Mm. And so she's one of the most efficient improvisers. Mm-hmm. You know? She's just like, I'm not going to say a thing unless And I bet I she typed to. well on yeah. the stage. She's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like... She doesn't like object work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but my thing is when people are doing... It's like, okay, you're at work. You want to establish that. But you don't talk and type. And you're not... Also, how often do you really type? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's mostly clicking. It's mostly clicking on a... Yeah, and exactly. Scrolling. And sitting there with your hand on your... Yeah. Uh, you know, or looking propping at your, your head up. Facebook and you're just, on your phone. Yeah, reading the screen. That's what you do. Well, doing. that's the difference is are you going, what does the person look like at work? And then most of the time it's like, I'm showing the audience that I'm at work. This is right. a work thing. As mm-hmm. opposed to 
be there. <laughs> so you're sitting, what are you seeing? Mm -hmm. Don't ever touch an object or look at an object without seeing it. Uh -huh. You can see it, I remember I've seen when someone walks out and they have something in their hand and the other person comes over and looks at it. Mm. And you know exactly what their face is saying, which is, I see nothing, please tell me what I'm looking at. <laughs> Inst the moment they look, you know they don't know what they see. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then they don't, so they're already reacting like it's important. Mm -hmm. And if the other person is like, this is a good bagel, then the other person has to justify why they what, give they it, like, so such important. a deep shit about this bagel. <laughs> such a deep shit about this bagel. I give such a deep shit. Well, when you eat uh, bagels, sometimes yeah. you have a deep shit. I regret nothing I say. <laughs> so, I mean, I tell people, like, come out. If you see yourself, feel yourself looking at something, decide what it is so that you can stop looking. Mm -hmm. And then the other person might then change it. Mm -hmm. But at least you're acting like a person as right. opposed to, like, I... I'm literally blind. Right. Yeah. Again, the chess moves. If anyone That's ever gives you a gift, open it up and say thanks for the grapefruit. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's the decisiveness that really is yeah. helpful. Yeah. And just being real. Yeah. See. Yeah. Um, one question I want to ask about, you know, with uh, going into a scene and, and being in a place and not thinking about those outside elements that aren't in the scene uh, is in regards to being on the sideline mm -hmm. when you are thinking of choices to make. Is uh, Do you subscribe to the idea that while you're on the sidelines, you should mostly have the same attitude as in the scenes? It's like, what's in the scene? Or on the sidelines, do you have more time to sort of focus on some of those things so you can come in and... Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the most... The only... Well, not the only. The most appropriate place to, like turn on your writer's brain, your director's brain, is when you're not in a scene. Because mm -hmm. if you're in a scene, you are an actor. Right. And, you know, your instinctual sort of writing, directing skills should pop up a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I, li I like to think of it as bookmarking. Like when mm -hmm. I'm in a scene, especially early on in Trike, and Nick says something like, I'm so excited for the, the, big, uh, the big reunion coming up. Mm -hmm. The really quick bookmark, I'm like, we're probably going to go there. <laughs> reunion. You know, I'm not planning what the scene is. Uh-huh. Just not like reunion. Uh, it's like, oh, that's my mom. She's like, she always talks to dogs as if they, like, know what she's saying. I'm like, mom talks to dogs. <laughs> Mark, we'll probably get to that. But when you're on the sideline, uh, you know, now that I'm saying this out loud, it should be similar. Yeah. Because I catch myself on the side going, oh, that's a good idea. How would I do that? Yeah, and then you get out of your head. And then it's hard to, when you step into the scene, to then be fully in the scene. Yes. So the, when you step on stage, the question is, are you still thinking about a theoretical scene you want to do? Mm. Or are you here? Right. So that's a, my new mantra for the beginning of every scene is the super light, quick, I'm holding up fingers for each one of these. I'm me over here like this with you. And the scenes usually are rough when you do any of that out of order. It's usually you're stepping on stage looking at someone going, I'm in a scene with you. Mm -hmm. I'll be over here. I'm, and I'm like this. And then in that process, both of you change a hundred times uh -huh. before the first line is spoken. Mm -hmm. But if you go, I'm me, that's that first step. I'm me. 
is a reminder to return to my own body and to be present and mm-hmm. to get out of the scene that's in my head. Because you will react to the scene that's in your head. Right. That's not ever that's, the scene that's, that's on stage. <laughs> exactly. So you go, okay, I've got an idea. It's going to be this. Now return to your body and literally just see this empty space. Then get out on stage, go directly to a place on the stage, stop moving. And in that moment, that's the like, oh, great, I feel like this. Let your scene partner join you. And then point your eyes at them. Mm-hmm. And then your brain will instinctually go like, oh, this feels like this. Then you deliver your idea through this, this place, mm-hmm. through these people, not the ones that were in your head. Uh, right. So that can be tough. The more convoluted your idea is, the more nervous you are about it. Mm-hmm. Letting go of the scene in your head and being here really takes that first step of like, fuck it, let it drop it for, and allow it to never not happen at all. Yeah. Yeah. The best thing is so is being so loose with things mm-hmm. and being present and it and not trying so hard. Yeah. But you have to put so much work, in other words, try hard to get there. Yeah. <laughs> so there's this weird balance that you have to strike when you're in classes yeah. and studying to work hard but then not it uh, not let it affect you with the art of it. Yeah, what it's it's an excellent point is that like I am even reluctant saying that. Like I don't really teach that in class till after I've taught other things that mm-hmm. like I'm me over here like this with you. Mhm. And I say, like, it's actually a terrible way to think about it while you're doing it. Oh, yeah. Because it's too much thought. <laughs> it is, in retrospect, what is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's light. It's just like, okay, be present. Go over here. Land like this. Look at you. Oh, cool. Go. And what's this going on? And let me... Yeah. Yeah. But it's also, like, my favorite things in the world is, is when it all goes wrong. Like, I have an idea of, oh, okay, I want to be a... A cab driver who has a big monster in his back seat, and mm-hmm. so I go out and say, "I pull out the chairs, I sit down, and let someone join me, and then I turn around, and then I look in the back, and Nick is clearly like in a jacuzzi." <laughs> You know, then it's that like, oh, I'm not going to fight it, but there's a jacuzzi in my car. Uh-huh. And you know what? He doesn't need to be a monster anymore because that's enough. And boy, I'm excited to do this scene I didn't mean to do. Yeah. And like, that's a big contextual surprise, but every scene is going to have at least a behavioral surprise. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you can tell your scene partner what they are, when they are, where they are, but you can never tell them how they are because they already are. Right. They should be. Mm-hmm. And that it, the day you realize that that unexpected quality they're going to bring to the stage is always the best part of the scene <laughs> and the thing that makes your idea work if we get to your idea at all. Mm-hmm. So. It's people fighting that, ignoring that for the scene that's in their head mm-hmm. that ruins the golden opportunity, which is the unexpected chemistry of your presence plus my presence. Right. The quality of which neither one of us could possibly have predicted. Mm-hmm. That's why it's, I see it in private chemistry that like I've got an idea of what I want to build, but I didn't know what chemical you were going to bring. And yeah. I didn't even really understand the chemical I was bringing. <laughs> and when they, when they combine, it... Yeah. Or simmers or corrodes. <laughs> I don't remember enough other chemistry words. Yeah. Uh, that was, I had bad chemistry teachers in high school. Um, oh, I, I doubt they're listening. I started to you feel bad. You know what? Bad, I bet like, they I are listening. <laughs> I bet mine is Miss Ruda. Are you listening? 
one of like they all were nice one of them just talked a lot about her kid and was like okay we don't have work today <laughs> like that's what would just end up happening and i never learned anything about chemistry but i got by because i could do the math of it I got an A in chemistry, and because we had an excellent, yeah, <laughs> but very, it was, well, it was one I shouldn't have been as good at. I wasn't, I didn't get an A in because any I other knew science. It. Yeah, yeah. I did fine. <laughs> right. But there was like the rules of it, mm-hmm. and also a teacher who was very good, but like had the reputation of being super strict. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to be a good student because I am afraid of you. <laughs> and that worked. Um, so much more to talk about. We're, we're running out of time, but I do want to mention, you know, you, you are, 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 would you say you're the director of the conservatory or are you? Uh, I'm the head of the conservatory, mm-hmm. which just means I um, decide who gets into those classes and mm-hmm. I teach all mm-hmm. of the fives and team performances. And you have developed a lot and I, and I think one of the things that I like is how I see even especially when I went back to level one things that Rick Andrews was teaching that have a big payoff in conservatory mm-hmm. so there is like a clear curriculum which I don't know you know like everyone there's such a clear clear cur- curriculum at UCB that I don't know how much people realize that it's everywhere <laughs> you know like it's here too well it's it has grown very organically i think mm-hmm. the different teachers here um I, well first of all i think the curriculum one through three uh is much more consistent than it once was mm-hmm. uh, to a certain point especially all new teachers mm-hmm. that R- rick deserves a lot of credit uh he's uh, fantastic for that um because he's training our new teachers but no one ever told me how I was supposed to teach my classes. Mm-hmm. Like back, I started teaching level three, and I was like, "What do I teach, Armando?" And he's like, "Harold." <laughs> I mean, he, I, he told me more than that. <laughs> he took me through what he did, but I every every exercise, everything in my classes, I have developed. Mm-hmm. When I inherited level five in team performance from Armando, there was teach these forms. Mm-hmm. And we've we've tweaked that over time. Yeah, because I was in the last group that had four forms in level five, mm-hmm. and now you're doing two. Yeah, and it's uh, uh, I mean, it's it is that like, well, what are we truly asking people to do in, mm-hmm. in uh, megawatt? And we stopped doing monocene, which I was reluctant to let go of because I think it was really a great tool to like get people pa- past the like, what's next? The game, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But. Um, I think the core skills of montage and expansion mm-hmm. being solidifying these muscles, forcing people to know how to do uh, a couple sort of things mm-hmm. so that you can, all, and I've said this in five, I don't think either of those forms are very interesting mm-hmm. because they're so singular. <laughs> yeah. Their focus. Yeah. yeah. The idea is to train something more so than yeah. put on a show. So that you can then, and this is more, more team performance than a mm-hmm. lot of other forms are. Mesh them together. Then go, well, what is this piece asking for right. now? Right. And if we've gotten a lot of one thing, it's probably some of the other. If this has all been crazy, then we mm-hmm. probably need some human beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If this scene is very singular from its first to second beat, then maybe another second beat needs to expand. Mm-hmm. Take a character something, open up the world. And so by ha- knowing that everyone can do what's needed when the piece needs it, hopefully, it's going to lead you to a healthier, more interesting piece that is growing organically and not totally tied to some formula. Mm-hmm. 
I liked that a lot, and it was really uh, encouraging with each, I was, I've told everybody this, but with each level that I went through here, I was more, even more so like, oh, that's exactly what I came here for. Mm -hmm. I came to, to, came to New York and to Magnet spe specifically for. Yeah, I mean, I, to get back to the, the all of the, te a lot of the teachers, especially, you know, earlier teachers, mm -hmm. you know, Ilana and Megan Lewis and Rick and Nick mm -hmm. and, and others, mm -hmm. uh, we got to develop you know our classes the way they made sense to us like my level three and lewis's level three are very very different mm -hmm. but at the core of all of them is a is a honored sort of truth which yeah. is simply that your job is to walk out on stage and be the same person from the beginning to the end yeah consistency of behavior mm -hmm. is the num the first promise in any scene and mm -hmm. the, the most the the thing that will make anything else you do work or not. Yeah. So whether it's crazy or totally grounded, or it's like a Cornfeld and Andrews or a trike or a whatever, mm -hmm. um, I bring those two up just because I, I think the, it's the a great comparison. Shows, but yeah. Of like same core values mm -hmm. of that like these characters hundred percent believe they exist. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like one of them's planet Earth, and one of them's stupid. Um, um, but yeah, so all the te you know teachers, it's that same thing. They come at it from different angles, mm -hmm. and I think it's really good for students to learn from people that truly understand why they're teaching what they're teaching. Yeah, and have done it a million times, mm -hmm. um, because people will connect with this information in different ways. Yep. So hearing it different ways is super valuable. Yeah, absolutely, very crucial. And um, so much more we could talk about. Again, running out of time, I do want to mention that you, we mentioned your wife. I want to mention your podcast with your wife, mm -hmm. uh, We Knows Parenting. We Knows! <laughs> because, and, and a lot of people follow you both on Instagram <laughs> because, because our of children your children. They're so hilarious. Now, what I love most is watching somebody tell another person in front of me how funny our kids are and they gotta follow us on Instagram because the person who's hearing it for the first time, their face is always <laughs> politely humoring. Mm -hmm. They're like, sure. You know, I'm sure Why you're, would I'm I? sure your kids are the kids that someone wants to follow on Instagram <laughs> because no one has ever liked funny kids on Instagram. But they're always wrong. Yeah, that's oh gosh, they're such funny kids. My my lovely girlfriend's sister sat with them once and then yeah. she was just like, they're so sweet. They're so funny. <laughs> They're funnier than us. I, it, yeah, I mean, like... And we're very funny. You are very funny. Um, um, yeah. You, don't, you guys don't even... When you look at the videos, there's not a whole lot of, like, anything from you all. Like, you're not, like, setting up anything for, like, some outcome. They're oh, just... no, I beat. try. I try to. But that's not what's ever funny. <laughs> Although, I guess those aren't the ones that stick out It's brain in the tub going, oh... I'm mad at the ocean. I'm gonna fire you. <laughs> That's like where it's also funny when you just see him have your mannerisms. He's. I mean, he and I have both have been fifty since we were one. <laughs> we did uh, this week. We did a, on the podcast a great segment where I told him jokes and then he made up the punchlines and they were uh -huh. so much better than the jokes. And my favorite, I think, was Bryn. Why is six afraid of seven? And he goes. Because Seven had red eyes. <laughs> I'm like, 
That is, I'd be fun for a seven. <laughs> yeah, that is funnier than seven, eight, nine. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, is that one in season or do you do it every week? Every week. Every week. It's okay. literally, I mean, it's, I'm, what I'm shocked is how many people who don't have kids listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is very revealing. We are in no way experts. That's mm-hmm. our thing, sort of the pitch of the show. Right. Is, uh, listen to us so you can feel good about yourself, knowing that, like, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the very fact that it's called We Knows Parenting just sounds inherently sarcastic. Like It yeah, is. We That's something Bryn used to say when he was really little. He'd go, Bryn, what are you doing over there? You're doing something bad? And he'd just go, We Knows. And we took that to mean, don't worry about it. <laughs> It's fine. And that's sort of our attitude of like, we're trying to be good parents, um, but there's no right answer, and we forgive ourselves very quickly. Oh, yeah. You you should read a book and get perfect at a particular style, and then when your kid's personality reveals itself, it won't match. You have very little say in this. You did your job when you gave them your genes. We get a lot of people reaching out and be like, hey, we we represent this parenting expert. You want them as a guest on your show? We're like, you've not listened to our show. This is not what we do. Well, uh, uh, it's been great talking to you um, and uh, and learning from you. I feel like my pleasure. Yeah, it's been really awesome. Uh, I want to create something, but I feel like I don't know what the, what that could be. Um, and the, like the idea I came in with, I don't think would. I have an idea. Okay, let's go. Based on the topic we talked about. Yes. Um, we're gonna do a short improv scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. You're going to close your eyes, uh-huh. and uh, when you close your eyes, you're just going to give yourself a feeling. Mm-hmm. You're going to count to five, and you're going to open your eyes, and you're going to see a character in front of you, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to respond. Okay. And okay. Just... All right. We'll do, uh, I don't know, let's take, make it like a two-minute scene. Hey, you call the scene. Okay. I'll call okay. the scene. Okay. All right. Closing the eyes. What do you think it's going to say? Positive? Well, I think, I don't think it says positive. I think it says pregnant or not. Oh, is that the one we got? Yeah. I mean, it is a plus sign. No, you're right. That was stupid. (laughs) It's going to be positive. Positive. But even if it's negative, it's not negative, you know? Right. You know? No pressure. Yeah. Uh, This is our first, first try. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I have been thinking of baby names. Yeah. I've been thinking of baby names. Yeah. I mean, this is probably not the conversation we should have until I look until at the Until we know, I guess. I don't know. Is it too soon, really? To talk about baby names? I mean, shouldn't we kind of have an idea of, like... What well, I mean, we did very dramatically put the pregnancy test in this box. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like we should do the reveal. Mm-hmm. And then if it's positive... Uh, okay. You know, otherwise we're going to create a baby in our head and then it's going to be... And then if it's gone. negative, then we're like, oh, then well, we lost something that wasn't yeah. ever there. And there goes name. I won't say a name. <laughs> I do have a name in my head. I, have no, I had one in my head and I started to say it, but because of what you just said, I decided not to say it. <sighs> well, now I feel like it's already in your head, so this baby already exists, so what's the harm? Okay. Count of three? Okay, yes. Okay. Three, two, two one. one. Jerry. Morgenstein. Morgenstein. Yeah. What did you say? Jerry. Jerry. Like my uncle. My uncle oh, Jerry. I, I love my uncle Jerry. I just pictured like a plumber. Was Jerry, it Jerry? Jerry is a plumber, isn't he? 
Well, it's Jerry Seinfeld is successful, right? A kid it's true. Could, you know, I mean, it's Jerry no, it's, Lewis was successful. So you're, you know, goofballs. Okay, yeah, fair point. Morgenstein. I know it sounds like a last name. Because it does. It, I think it is. Maybe it could be a middle name? Mm. Jerry Morgenstein. That sounds like a person. Um, it's true. It just it sounds like an old man. Uh, yeah. You know what? This wasn't a good idea. No. Um, has it been? Let's do a girl's name. Okay. 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 One, two, two three. three. Tracy. Jerry. Oh. I don't, I don't know why I said Jerry. Why did you? Because um, I, I didn't have a girl's name, and I just wanted to see what came out. I'll be honest. Tracy just is what came out for me, too. Yeah. I just don't... Jerry and, and Tracy are bad choices. Okay. Well, Morgenstein wasn't... Okay. Well, I read it in a thing, mm-hmm. and I don't remember where. But I... Okay. I feel like you got to have a unique baby name. Should we just open the box? Is it time? I mean, it's been long enough. Okay, ready? Okay, yes. I'll grab one edge of the bow. I'll, I'll grab, grab the, the other. other. One, two, two three. three. <sighs> What does plus and minus mean? I don't know. I was going to ask you. Why does this... What is? Where is the box? Oh, this box is expired. Oh. Well, there goes Jerry Morgenstein. See? <laughs> On theme. See, that's, I, I forgive myself instantly for having all my shows just be the things I've been thinking about that week. <laughs> You've been thinking about baby names? Well, we were just talking about babies and parenting podcasts. Oh, yeah, okay. So like, of course, that's why that <laughs> came up. But that's the brain I have to use. <laughs> I really like that approach of uh, closing my eyes because when I opened them, there was, there was a lot of like uh, things that people couldn't see. Which, funny yeah. enough, like one of the ideas I had, what we could do was an object work exercise just to be a dick. <laughs> Fascinating podcast. <laughs> like five minutes of us doing object work, no one could but see. But yeah, talk about that. What, did, what was that experience? Well, I mean, I what really did. did uh, uh, like, I was like, okay, I feel pensive. I feel pensive. So then I tried to, like, let go of what felt like Jason and then uh, slowly go into what the feeling was Mm -hmm. and then i opened my eyes and you looked pensive (laughs) and you had your hand on your face like oh you know and you were like you're so intuitive at this that you probably were already reading me uh and and i did before you you. did anything oh okay um so that was just like a good moment (laughs) like it was just the magic of improv yeah but even if even if you'd open your eyes and i'd been like confident as shit yeah would have, that still would have been a scene. <laughs> you would have felt like you were in an interrogation. Yeah. And I'd be like, cool principal. Like, it's Jason. It's fine. Just tell me the truth. What happened, buddy? Yeah, I think um, I like that approach of what is this? What do I feel like? What is this that I am? And let me just drop into that in a, in a realistic, genuine way and act. And then look at the other person and see what it is they are. And then you get more of a sense of what this is. Because a lot of times, what I used to say when I taught classes before I learned I was a bad teacher. <laughs> like I moved here and I was like, I should not have been teaching. I'm so glad I had the opportunity. Oh, it's so valuable. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I was like, oh, I'm not a teacher yet. Uh, but 
uh, I would always say like make a choice. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can be good, I guess. But at the same time, I I think it pushed this like choose something in your brain as opposed to what I think is more helpful for at least for me, which is what is this just what is this already? What is it? Yeah. What does it look like? But the only way that works is if you get out on stage and you make a shape and have a feeling. Yeah. And what this exercise, why it's so easy, it's what TJ and Dave does. Yeah. Lights go down, lights come up, is that you close your eyes and you have a feeling and a shape. Mm-hmm. And when you open your eyes, there is nothing <laughs> that, you, there's nothing in your brain's way. Right. Your brain goes, this is the scene. Mm-hmm. The difference is if you have to, we both have to walk six feet on a stage, land and start a scene. And have there, something in our brain. Our, your brain the whole time is going, what is this? What is this? What is this? Mm-hmm. And every moment it's changing. Right. That's why I'm like, don't look at your scene partner when you join. Get out there, eyes down, land, be comfortable, and then just peek over. Mm-hmm. Then your brain will go, this is the scene. Right. It's the difference between if I, if I, uh, you do an ink blot, where if I go, this is the last thing I'm going to say. If I show you an ink blot and I go, what does this look like? Your brain goes, it's a rabbit. But if I go, all right, tell me what this paint looks like. And then I throw a bucket of paint on the wall. And it's like, as it hits the wall and it's dripping, and I'm going, what is it? What does it look like? What does it look like? Uh-huh. You, you can't get a read on it. <laughs> right, right. So I'm saying, like, let, don't mm-hmm. look as they throw the mm-hmm. paint on the wall. Let it settle. Take a look. And then you're like, spaceship. Mm-hmm. And then it's fucking easy. There it is. Thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. Yeah. This is what a handshake sounds like. This is cool, right? James Brown, and it's a song called There It Is, and it starts off with someone saying, ow, there it is. Uh, I just happened to find that on my computer the other day. Has it been on my computer since the There It Is podcast started in 2016? Well, (laughs) why, yes, it was. It was on there. (laughs) And I just now found out about it. Oh, gosh, I'm dumb. But... Uh, hey, we have that now to come out of uh, <laughs> out of some interviews. That's pretty cool. Well, anyway, big thanks to Peter McNerney for being on the podcast. And uh, yeah, we we talk about We Know's parenting and story pirates, and of course links in bio. But you can listen to po- there those both of those have podcasts. Uh, of course, We Know's parenting is a podcast, but story pirates is uh, a lot of things, and one of those things is. A podcast. So go find out about those things. Go listen to those as well. Again, links in bio. And you can, of course, check out There It Is and me online as well. Thereitispod.com at thereitispod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes, though. Twitter is a barren wasteland, and I barely get on anymore. And uh, Instagram, at Jason Farr Picks. Well, folks, that's today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week's episode is with just a great stand-up comic. One of the best, I think, working today. Also, former writer for The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Joe Firestone. Very excited about that. Big, big episode. And uh, Peter, right after the interview was done, said, oh, Longest episode? 
Um, we're at, we're going to be around 112, it looks like. Longest episode's 119. So, sorry, Peter. It was a great discussion, but we had time constraints. <laughs> I should have him on again. Well, folks, until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 